Good evening, everybody. A very warm welcome to Kaizen Central from Manufacturing TV. Wonderful to see you all here today on this Thursday evening. Um, today, we thought that this was going to be a bit of a freeform session. We don't have a guest speaker, um, but we are going to be talking about people as the, uh, the slide that was uh, up just before we went live uh, demonstrates. Um, a couple of things, really. I mean, obviously, the, the role of uh, uh, of people in our businesses is is an ever present um, as it should be uh, uh, issue as it says on one of those captions you don't build a business you build people and then people build the business um, but it's a it's a constant conundrum to my mind that we seem so poor in this country uh, at understanding people and their role in in business and how we can possibly um, get the most out of out of people um, and get the most into the business and uh, I mean the choice of words I used just then maybe that's a poor choice of words get the most out of people I'm not certain uh, we can we can parse these things endlessly but I'm also intrigued by the f end of furlough coming up and what that's going to mean um, it seems to me we're going to get a lot of people possibly coming onto the labor market which has got a lot of vacancies but uh, i wonder just of what interest that is to manufacturing for the very simple reason uh, that uh, so many of these people coming out of furlough may not match the vacancies there are there's going to be a mismatch uh, but also the wages are going up and that's never a bad thing i would have thought that's an excellent thing but it, it, for, for the country and for our economy but not necessarily for some manufacturers um, so the, the floor is absolutely open on this I'm I'm keen to hear from people um, their views what I'd like to lead up to at some stage is is some sense of of what could be done if we agree that people management in this country is not good particularly in manufacturing or not uh, again we can discuss that um, what could be done? I mean, what should be done? Um, what what should we be advocating? What policy changes should we be advocating? Or not necessarily policy, what should we be doing as a sector? And what could we advocate to our colleagues in the sector? Um, I have no um, preconceived ideas about who's going to kick this off. So literally, anybody just put your hand up and let's get going. Okay, that always trying to get that first. There we go, Liam. Very warm welcome, and welcome to your first Kaizen Central. Excellent to see you. Well, thanks again for inviting me, Nick. I'm delighted to be here, and hello to everybody. Um, I, I've uh, been around uh, for quite some time in this world of manufacturing. I pretty much grew up in it. And starting off my working life in Dunstable um, with uh, with the ACDLCO division of GM, and then moving down to London a little bit later, and then moving back to Ireland, and then moving to a lot of places. And uh, just uh, something that you touched on earlier, Nick, um, the, the application of Lean, which for me has is just the most wonderful way to transform an organisation or any business. It's, it's not just manufacturing. Um, it, it's it's uh, the failure rate is so high. Uh, if you tell people the failure rate, you know, you'd, you'd wonder why you would bother. Uh, but uh, they were saying it was over 70% for a long time there. But I suspect that from, from working and, and, and being on many sites all over the place, the failure rate was much higher. But our, you will know 
those of you who work in organizations that organizations don't easily admit the failure, at least not not uh, externally, and sometimes not even even to each other. But the the, the Leading Enterprise Institute recently after being uh, about a couple of years ago, after some pressure, came out and confirmed it was over 90%. Uh, and why is that so? Well, uh, and the failure rate is not just in, in, in the UK. It's everywhere. Uh, I have, you know, I've been around since uh, the 70s, and to me, leadership today is worse than it's ever been in my lifetime. Uh, I, th- I, I don't know for sure why that is, but I have my own thinking about that. I think it's uh, social media, modern thinking, change political correctness, and I think that that's confused people. And the biggest failing I see in organizations is, is, is this lack of leadership and lack of accountability. And, uh, uh, you know, I have pleaded with GNs to fire somebody who's uh, patently not engaged with a lean program. And, and I'm in the fortunate position of being able to walk away from a project if they don't follow our path. Uh, not everybody can do that, and I well understand it. But uh, why organizations will carry people who are not performing uh, is beyond my comprehension. It's a failure, ultimate, it's a total failure of, uh, of uh, leadership. But then again, some people, sometimes people don't even know what to measure, you know, and accountability at every level is awful. It's just awful. Uh, people don't set the right kind of uh, goals. They don't know how to link objectives to them. They don't know how to how to you know, get them, push them all the way down to the levels, to the shop floor, and hold people accountable. Invest in them. Love your people. I'm absolutely all for it. No surprise that the chart you sent earlier today, Nick, was that training and education was right up there. But billions are being spent on it. Uh, and and you know, I would question, in my theory, a lot of the stuff that I see that people are delivering is utterly useless. And, and I'm in the consultancy world now, but I see myself very much as a factory manufacturing person, because that's where I, I spent my life. But we as, a, as consultants are rightfully up there in the top five with the least trusted uh, and least thought of professions, because we we take the money, too many will take the money and run. They will not hold the CEO or the plant manager, whoever the site leader is, and the leadership team accountable saying, look, this is what you must do. We will guarantee you success beyond your wildest dreams if you follow our path. There's loads of things we can discuss along the way, but there are some things that are just not negotiable. And if you have one or two people that you're on your leadership team and... About two is my experience. One or two are not going to make it. Are you going to cut them this? Because if you're not, you're wasting your money and and uh, and, uh, and your and your and your time. So, how, how many people are, are you all manufacturing people in the in the room? Uh, not everybody. Some some uh, some see nodding. Uh, Robin is actually an employment lawyer. I thought her uh, uh, her insights might be uh, valuable. Um, Alec Ram. Uh, are currently manufacturing. Um, Graham has been. John, uh, sorry, Richard, um, Bob. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a mix, Liam. But uh, yeah. I think it's uh, fair to say that there's an awful lot of experience in the room, and I'd love to see if anybody's, what if people resonate with what you've been saying. Um, who'd like to uh, re- respond to Liam, and and to what extent do you agree or disagree with what he said? Richard. Hi, everybody. Um, I agree. And I think that if I go back through my 
manufacturing, cutting my manufacturing teeth in what was Rover, Land Rover, uh, I've seen things deteriorate as well. And I think the, the thing is that people don't understand the basics of what you have to do. And I think it's got lost in social media and I think it's got lost in chatting and unaccountability as, as was stated. The key thing is, what are you trying to do? You're trying to put some simple bits of, say, metal together and turn them into something that's worth more money and performs a function that's different from the uh, raw materials that go into it. But if you don't understand the elemental parts of the process and how you solve all the in individual problems with how you put those things together, which is basically people skills, you're never actually going to get to the lowest cost producer or the best product for the type of market you're aiming for. And I think that's been lost. And it basically comes back to the lean manufacturing approach of looking at the elemental value adds. And if you do that, that then concentrates on teams, skills, and the ability to build something that's going to add value to the customer uh, without having all the rubbish. And if you talk, if you want to talk about rubbish, which is what a lot of people do, you don't actually take the product any further forward. And lean concentrates you on the basics of what you have to do. And if you do that, it then says you have to solve problems, and to solve problems, you need the best people. Graham, your thoughts? Yeah, I just um, share with the group my own experience about people management um, was working for DuPont. And DuPont are obsessive about health and safety. And a side effect of that obsession, uh, they're also brutal in terms of, you know, Liam was saying he couldn't get somebody sacked. DuPont will sack people uh, whenever they want. Um, but when, when they came, they, they purchased the factory I was working in and they swept through the, the management team and people with a poor safety record didn't last. And I've only realised this in retrospect. You can only get a good safety record if you can manage the behaviours of people because you've got to get people um, to do things that, that they wouldn't do in their own lives. process for their management so you end up with managers and supervisors who can manage human behavior and then you've got a perfect starting point for going on to all the best practice stuff and i say i didn't realize that when it was happening it's only when i thought about it retrospectively um but it's an exceedingly powerful way of doing it because you know an old DuPont once said to me he says graham if you can manage safety you can manage anything and there's a great deal of truth in that statement. Fascinating. That's really that's really interesting. That's one of those, uh, uh, you know, get, get, getting getting to to your destination without necessarily understanding uh, the route someone took. Ram, good evening to you. Lovely to see you. Good evening. Well, lovely to see you again, everybody. Welcome to Liam, uh, the newest face on the show. So. <clears throat> Excuse me, people. Uh, the the purpose or the the vision for Equitas these days, or whenever it was set up, was a better engineered world. And the mission statement, or how we were going to get there, is by enabling by enabling people excel at what they do. 
Now, it sounds quite glossy and glamorous when I say, oh, we want to enable people excel at what they do. But what the underlying message is, the only way in which people are going to excel in anything they do is if they are enjoying what they do, if they are reassured, if they are assured, and if they are secure and comfortable with what they do. You take these reassurance, you take these levels of comfort or security away from what they do. People won't enjoy what they do. And when people don't enjoy what they do, they do not excel at anything. So excellence in people has been at the core of what we do at Equitas. Now, that has happened because I've had some fantastic experiences with some line managers in the past. And I've had some horrible experiences from the line managers in the past. So my idea is learn or take the best of what I've experienced from some of my best team leaders and remove all the bad behaviors I've experienced from some of my horrible team leaders or leadership, and then bring these two together. And you probably have a, a, a few jewels or a few nuggets of leadership wisdom on looking after people. And that's the basis of interaction, not just with people with relation to equities, even in real life. It doesn't cost you a lot to be a nice human being. Apply that, extend that logic to your employees, your suppliers, and everyone else. And, and then the world of manufacturing is a much happier uh, place where people are excelling. Uh, it's as simple as that. It's not rocket science. Well, it may not be rocket science, Ram, but it strikes me that that's profoundly emotionally intelligent. And emotional intelligence is not something that everybody is blessed with. It's I'm not I don't know if you can learn it. Um, you acquire it or you 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 are you nodding? You say you can learn emotional. You can learn it. Oh, believe me, had you seen okay. me eight, nine years ago? I had no emotional intelligence. I would be all over the place. I would, I would, I would, I would fly off the handle. I would blow my top. I mean, I'm talking in metaphors. I don't know what's going on. See, I'm still a work in progress. You know, that goes to say that you can learn. You can learn a bit and learn a bit more. I was, I was horrendous with people management. I would, I would. I would not. I did not have the acumen of treating people properly or or saying things the way they should be said. And I was. My wife will tell you she's a psychologist. She still married me, and she's made me who I am today, partly. So, you know, you can talk to her, and she'll tell you how horrible I was eight, nine years ago, and and the level of improvement I've shown in my people skills. It's you can learn. Everybody can learn. The moment you stop learning, that's the that's where the end is uh, visible. I, I I would have to agree with that because uh, uh, your experience uh, echoes my own, uh, and that goes for um, the um, the matrimonial element of it as well. Um, so, if I can uh, perhaps ask other people for their experiences about this, I mean, it, it is good people management a science and art, or is it a behavior, a learned behavior? Um, somebody, please jump in and let us know what you think on that. I'll jump in. Good man. Um, I'm absolutely convinced that it's uh, it's a behaviour that can be learned and can be taught. Um, the first step, of course, is accepting the need to be taught or to learn, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, and there are some collective processes that can kibosh the whole thing. You can you can have a group of senior managers in a room 
each of whom is individually more than capable of being a perfectly good person manager, uh, but they end up making collective decisions that are fundamentally flawed in their people management and the effect that, that has on the business. I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's cliche, I think, but broadly speaking, when companies are looking to reduce the cost of their um, payroll, there's a nasty habit of looking to get rid of the most senior, most experienced, and therefore most expensive people. And the number of times, I mean, this is something that happens. I mean, I'm, I'm predominantly in healthcare. Um, and my biggest clients have traditionally been pharmaceutical companies and the number of pharmaceutical companies. I'll put it another way around. There isn't a single top 10 pharmaceutical company that hasn't got rid of most of their high quality corporate memory in the last 10 years. Uh, there are companies at any given time any two of the top 10 pharma companies is in the process of offloading a bunch of usually over 40 year old over 15 year experience executives of one form or another with the sole intention of reducing their payroll bill and the effect of that of course is that they end up with in many cases a higher headcount uh, they end up with more junior people doing a less effective job than the smaller number of expensive people was doing previously. And this goes down as being good business because what they're actually doing is they're looking solely at the finances. They're not thinking about the, the benefits of having senior experienced people uh, in, in the company. Uh, the the knock-on effects in the pharma industry, the knock-on effects are things like they have to continue to be acquiring new businesses in order to bring in new creativity, uh, new products. They have to be continuously looking to uh, in-license new, new products because quite frequently the, the core research that they're doing themselves is not up to the same standard as it was 10 or more years ago because in the process of that 10-year that period they've got rid of most of the very senior people who were creating that uh, high quality research so R&D in the pharma industry at least at the moment is basically outsourced uh, and most, most companies now have a uh, a, a strategic goal. It's a strategic goal as a result of this that they end up having to have a goal that says that at least 50% of their new products over the coming, let's say, five years must come from externally sourced research. And that's in order to make sure that they're launching enough new products to replace the revenue lost from the old products as, as they go off patent. Uh, and in the process of doing that, they always go through this cyclical approach and it's always in the down cycle where they're needing to get rid of people in order to save money, that they end up throwing out corporate memory. And to me, it, 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 it's just, I mean, it's, 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 it's a vicious cycle of the worst kind. And in the pharma industry, it's been going on for uh, at least 30 years. 
that strikes me as a form of madness um and not only madness it's madness that has generated a form of bizarre twisted self-justification um it's it's worse than just you know keep on doing the same old thing yeah keep on getting what you want they're actually redefining what they want because they can't change the way that they're they're they're, they're behaving anybody heard behavior like that reflected in 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 other parts of the sector um does it strike any chords ram you did you put your hand up again yeah you just got to take it down last time fine <laughs> oh, um, quickly that's the yeah. book i was talking about by marshall you, we'll get you here we'll get you there right okay thank you and i think you put the link to that in the in the comments i'm going to introduce nigel by the way because we made the mistake of saying that liam was the first was was uh was our our, our new our, our our new first timer but nigel is also uh joining us for the first time and i'm wondering uh, nigel would you like to say hello and say whether any of this resonates with your past in manufacturing yeah yeah good evening everyone uh, and and thanks for the invite and the welcome up i'll just briefly say who i am i mean i did uh, as mentioned to nick last week i did once upon a time work in manufacturing industry but it, it's so long ago i had hair in those days um and for the last sort of 30 years i've been a sort of researcher and labor economist um uh, and so i've been interested i've sort of kept interested in manufacturing i've had a big interest in small and startup businesses as well uh, and one of the organizations i work with based in manchester is heavily into um consultancy and training around lean and, and manufacturing excellence and uh, I guess I'm also I also have the industry 4.0 bug partly because my my son's an IT consultant so I think it's probably brushed on from uh, there but yeah I mean I think a lot of this chimes with uh, um, you know what we've been saying the, the frustrating thing is I think we've been saying this for a hell of a long time and I'm kind of old enough now to remember that we've been saying it for um, for a long time. And a, a couple of thoughts um, struck me. One was, you know, about the points that were made about uh, focusing on the financial. And I just wonder whether lean, whether I'm, I'm reluctant to try and rebrand things, but lean also seems to me to encourage people to think about slimming down and so forth where if you go back to the fundamentals it's not really about that uh, at all so one one issue for me is do we need to sort of a, a rebranding how we present um these sorts of discussions um and i think i'd, I'd certainly agree with people that you can uh learn uh, as you go along in how to uh, in how to treat people uh, and I think I'd also go along with the point about outsourcing because a lot of organizations seem to outsource you know HR functions to a large degree and I don't know to what extent that serves uh, well but I'll throw a couple of other things into the melting pot as well because I think generally we've we've say this point about productivity, for example, generally, I think in the UK, we've got some outstanding businesses, but we've got a very long tail of very poorly performing businesses. So maybe one of the challenges is how do we get the, the excellence, the best that we've got 
uh, accepted throughout the industry as a whole, sort of raising all the boats in the in the harbour. Um, and again, one of the one of the issues it's come up mainly, I think, in relation to sort of skills and and training in the past is whether we have the the sort of institutions to do that. You know, sort of donkeys years ago, we had things like. Um, you know, in engineering, we had uh, engineering training groups and things like that. Uh, I see that, you know, Semter have rebranded into Engenuity now. So it strikes me that we don't, we no longer have anyone who's really coordinating the efforts to raise the quality of leadership throughout manufacturing. But I'll, I'll stop now, otherwise I'll go on and on and it will bore the pants off folks. But uh, yeah, great to be here. Well, thank you, Nigel. And, and please, no, I mean, we, we uh, um, you know, don't, don't feel you uh, have to hold back, but uh, I, it really is, that's a fundamental point you raise about whether, you know, to what extent can there be any kind of uh, coordinated management training um, or should there be externally applied, um, jointly created, jointly administered? Uh, are, are there such things? I mean, you, you know better than I. You mentioned Semter changing to Ingenuity, which I thought was a, a strange rebranding, but uh, they seem to enjoy where they're going with that. Um, who's got some thoughts? On on, uh, uh, on on training, actual formal training of managers, because I don't think that uh, uh, there's an awful lot of it, particularly uh, when you get the double whammy of somebody who's doing well in one job, like being sales, for instance, and they get told to become a manager because they're so good. And of course, you, 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 you lose um, a salesman and you gain a lousy manager. Um, so, I mean, Bob, can I entreat you? I know you don't like me putting you on the spot, but what would you say about training of management in this country? Um, is there such a thing? Who carries it out? If not, who should? Um, well, <laughs> I always hesitate to, to speak in the sense that um, my actual physical involvement with manufacturing as a leader uh, finished 15 years ago when I left the corporate world. So... And at that point, um, I think it was in reasonably good nick. So when I hear all the stories about it being in not so good condition, I don't have that experience. The other reason I don't have the experience is for those past 15 years, or the best part of it, I've been a judge in the Manufacturing Excellence Awards every year. And I suppose I get exposed to people who, even if they are not the best, are ambitious enough to try and be there, be better than they are now. So I get a kind of biased perspective of what British manufacturing is about. Uh, and there are some absolutely brilliant companies out there who year on year on year advance their performance, their capabilities, their insights, their commitments. So I understand that um, there will be corporations, there'll be sectors, there'll be industries. There's there's a kind of almost a corporate psyche about almost from the kind of Americanisms of quarterly reporting that everything is short term. And based on that short termism, people then tend to look at short term numbers and it becomes a financial thing. But whereas in reality, when I 
came into business, I was blessed that I went into a business that, in a sense, was a family business because it was co-owned by two people who, in a sense, left us as an operating business alone. So we run like a family family business. And for the first 15 years or so, that, that was just amazing. And so I was always brought up to understand that a business exists, any organization exists, business or not. Um, whether it's a, uh, you know, a, a, a charity or whatever else, it's there to create value. It's there to create value for all those that's involved in it, whether they're suppliers, employees, clients, or shareholders. And the more you can create value for all the stakeholders, the more success you're likely to get. And the first thing you want to do, obviously, is survive, which is cash, um, or exist, which is cash, survive, which is make profit so you can actually sustain your competitive advantage. And then you've got to be able to please customers if you're going to make, make, make money. But fundamental to everything I was always taught is that none of that will happen unless you develop people to be the very, A, inspire them with a purpose that compels them to be their best and then enable them through training, develop and nurturing and leadership to be their best. So I've had that kind of imbued in me like Blackpool rocks since, since kind of day one. So I think that's kind of fortunate and that's how I've always lived. But what I find when I work with a number of businesses, the very action results oriented. So they will think results, 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 let's take action. And they seem to misunderstand or not understand the power of language, the power of communication, the power of connection, and the fact that they're to create an experience for someone that, as Rama said and others have said, that experience is there that makes them feel good about doing what they're doing. So they want to continue doing it and doing it even better. So it's not just action result. It's creating the environment that they want to do it better and better and better. And that comes from having a mindset of creating value. And we seem to have got lost of shifting from creating value to reducing cost. And reducing cost is a downward spiral. Creating value is an increasing spiral. And the more we can consider increasing value, and in today's world, sustainably within you know, the, the earth without damaging it, I think the better we can be. So when we talk about leadership, one of the things that seems to be missing a lot is the understanding of how to create value. So if we can, we can learn that, that's one good thing. The other thing is in learning to create value is how to encourage people, not just to buy into that, but to live that by enthusing people about, let's do something useful in this world. Let's just not go and make money or save money or whatever else. Let's actually put something useful into the world. So that's why you, you see companies that are business, that are purpose-led and values-led are the ones that are infusing people, engaging people to be at their best. And when you've got that, you get a virtuous circle going. That level of sustainability becomes very infectious. And that's really what's missing. And leadership for that is not something that, that can be taught. It can be learned, but not taught. It's an experiential thing. So creating opportunities for people to learn how to put those things in practice is the critical thing about leadership development. Not chucking them to do an MBA or sending them off to university or whatever. It's actually what experiences can you create? What mentorship can you give people? 
that will expose them to the challenges that they then have to put their thinking caps on, their emotional stuff on, and make it happen. Um, that, that was my two pennies. <laughs> uh, very much more than Tuppenceworth, I do assure you, Bob. That was great. Thank you very much. Um, there's been there's an interesting little paradox uh, that sort of popped up. We've heard about cost-cutting, um, and we've heard, obviously, about lean, where... Lean is is obviously a, a, about cost cutting, but it's it's about cutting waste, which is a, a, a cost cutting. But it's not a, that's not about um, damaging value at the same time. I, I, I mean, if anybody put their hand up, please. But I want to bring Liam into this because Liam and I were chatting earlier today, and I just like to put that paradox to you, Liam, if I may, about the difference between the the the, the sort of cost cost cutting, and you work for an American company for a long time the, the, the kind of cost-cutting mentality for the quarterly reports uh, which is what Simon was describing and the cost-cutting that is just about um, enabling uh, you know or sort of trying to get as much waste as possible out to allow value to be added yeah um well, then, I've spent my life in multinationals uh, as uh, as an employee. You know, I I still work with multinationals, so there is a. There, I would say twenty, thirty years ago, multinationals. If somebody went on assignment to run a site somewhere, uh, they would be there for five years. Today, they might be there for two or three. So, uh, the, too many of them are on the are are climbing the ladder, and don't want to you know disturb things too much. They just want to deliver enough results that will that will suffice, uh, but not do anything radical in case it might go wrong. That's I've noticed that's a big issue. Another issue is that sometimes people are on the way out out of the to, uh, the door or uh, close to retirement, and and they don't want to 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 overdo it either. You know. Being a site manager is a is a demanding job. If you if you're going to do it well, uh, you know when we when I was running factories, I would be there at the turn of the shift to say goodbye and hello and and to people. Uh, I would be there when we were doing our town halls. I would go in on a Saturday evening to speak to the weekend people. You know, uh, lots of people won't do that. Won't make that effort. And uh, to me, also there's a there's common sense is is in terrible decline, really serious decline. Um, where, where, where people, very sensible people who, who outside of the workplace will make good decisions about their life and about their family. And, and you bring them together into a workplace and you get these crazy things that, are, that, that, uh, that happen. So uh, there's so much jargon around and language has been reinvented all of the time. Uh, I, you know, like I said uh, earlier, uh, Nick, many of the best things that I learned, uh, I learned as a young guy, um, have not changed. Have stayed with me, and I use them today. It's about treating people with respect. It's about making people accountable, but making it very clear what it is that you expect from them. Um, and this is this is one of the biggest missings that I see in, in life. That the, the senior manager often doesn't know what they're responsible for. You know, I sit down with them. My client brings me in. I say, "Well, tell me what you know. What your your top five things are." And, you know, they don't have it like that. And I remember Jim Kiltz, who ran Gillette. Uh, he was the first outsider to run the Gillette company uh, in Boston. And uh, he uh, actually sold us 
a few years later, turned it around, made this great again, and then sold us the P&G. But he said uh, uh, during uh, that period, he said that if you ask someone why they come to work today at any level, and they can't clearly explain to you what they're accountable for and what they're going to deliver in three minutes, you have a problem. And that has also stayed with me uh, because there's such muddled thinking around. And And most... So many leadership teams that I work with um, don't know what are what are the right things to do. It's quite incredible. Uh, and just to, to talk about lean, I still think lean is just the best system or the best process or the best lean thinking in which to get things done because it puts people right at the center. Of course, yeah, it's more with less. But what's wrong with that? You're, you're delivering value. Somebody said, talked about value, uh, you, you know, for your customers. That's delivering real value to your customers. You get better, but people grow. I have seen people who never set foot on a college, you know, on shop floor level, end up running factories simply because they come through the, the, the learning and the development that they get from working in a true lean system that's been applied so that because they have a voice, they can, they can air their concerns, that will be listened to and responded to. Such a basic thing. You know, such a basic thing. Why, you know, how come people don't, don't understand that? It's quite incredible to me. And you know, we get nothing from the academics on this. Nothing. You know, we get another book telling us how to be great. And meantime, their own institutions are hellholes of demarcation and uh, militant unions and everything. You know, I fight with them all the time. Um, well, I, I, I debate with them all the time. So it, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm, my wife tells me I was a confused young man. Now I'm a confused older man. Because I, I don't know why why so many things are happening. I know how to fix them, and if somebody will give me the 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 the, the, the clearance and the green light to go fix, I will bring them. I will bring them a formula, and I will bring them a, a, a team of people that will give them results that they can only dream of. It's not difficult. It's not rocket science. Somebody talked about that earlier on, but it's just difficult to get them because leadership. They spend. Somebody said they'll say they spend sixty percent, sixty seventy percent of their time working on yesterday's issues every day. It's more. It's more than 80 in my experience. So, and that becomes a way of life. They get fired up by fixing, putting out a fire here and a fire there and they get their adrenaline. Mostly men, by the way, may I say. Uh, Whereas, you know, that's not their job. Their job is to root cause that and fix it so that it doesn't, it doesn't, it stops happening. And they should be working in the future. And this is what I preach all the time. You should be working on Tomorrow's issues, walking around, listening to your people in a calm way with processes humming along, people not running around, you're not doing changeovers that are not planned, all of this stuff. This is all possible. Uh, and you know, I know many organizations that are performing like that. Every factory that I left behind me is performing like that. Uh, it, it's, but why aren't there more like it? There, there's far more that are not like that. And yeah, I've I've seen it's it's not just in the pharma business where the purge are people regularly. The auto business decimated itself by doing that and doing it repeatedly. It was it's a form of suicide. Uh, but um so you know, there you go. Uh, there are solutions out there. We 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 know how to do it, uh, but not not everyone will 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 listen or buy into it or take the time. They just they're in this frantic uh, merry-go-round. I said, get off that. 
you know, give us a chance here. Listen and, and start to and really involve your people and teach your people in the right way, and you'll have a wonderful, a wonderful organization. Well, I, 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 one thing I take from what you said, Liam, um, and what others have been saying tonight is that lean as a concept it, it, it doesn't just apply to manufacturing it can apply to, no. to to other businesses as well but it at least offers a framework i mean in the, in the absence of 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 what we'd call you know any kind of uh, teaching or external uh, teaching framework it it's you know lean is a way it, it obviously it's got to be implemented properly but at least it's a framework that demonstrably works, Ram. It's 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 sorry. Can you just finish? It's common sense, Nick. It's uh, the best teachers that that you can remember involved you, involved your pupils, and listened to their pupils and were respectful. That's what Lean is about, you know. And and the kitchens are masters of 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 Kanban and 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 just in time because you've got limited space so mothers will 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 shop for what the space that they have bread men you know bring in new bread every morning and take away the old stuff that's that's gone stale that's Kanban you know people are are, are obsessed with Toyota but you know Toyota didn't invent everything they, they've got a unique culture and nobody can duplicate it uh, so it's it's really is it's 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 just common sense okay thanks uh, ram if i may add to this whole lean discussion with an all too familiar example which is the human body the equivalent is to cut fat or get rid of fat and get fitter but unfortunately some organizations get it wrong in the sense that rather than try to remove fat they say well we don't need two kidneys let's get rid of one we don't need two lungs let's get rid of one lung we don't need a stomach because if there's a stomach we need to spend money on food and water let's get rid of stomach we don't need two legs let's get rid of one of those legs and as a result of that as you can see when you chip away at the most important parts in your quest for cutting costs what you end up with is a little stump, much like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. If you remember the famous fighting scene, that's what it ends up with, mouthing away, but with absolutely no use to anyone or anything. And, and that's what we need to try and avoid and, and, and discourage people from doing. And it starts with the right education, like Liam said, and application of common sense. Yeah, yes, it's rather it's rather like uh, the, the the farmer industry is uh, is becoming a, a legion of black knights. Um, Graham, yeah, I agree one hundred percent with what Liam was saying about lean and its power. But if you go around almost any SME manufacturer in this country and start talking to them about lean, and they think the only thing they think about lean is lean is five S. And there's a legion of consultants out there going in, doing a 5S project in, in, a, in a small part of a manufacturing organisation, getting paid and then buggering off. And the 5S collapses again. And, you know, uh, 5S is not lean. It's, it's perhaps part of the lean journey. But most small SMEs uh, would think 5S is lean. And that, that's a big problem because they don't understand the power that Liam's talking about. And, and does it matter? Does it matter? Um, you know, it, sh can, can lean operate 
um, and I'm asking purely out of ignorance. I don't know. Can it operate in the small in the smallest of companies? I mean, is there a critical mass you need before it becomes effective? Uh, absolutely not. But the, the thing you were talking about paradox earlier was cost versus value. Really, lean is it's not a paradox. It's an abuse of lean. Like, like Graham's just talked about, people using 5S, which is a tiny, tiny element, a tool of lean, as that's what lean is, when in fact, that's a tool in a toolkit, it's not a skill, and it's certainly not a mindset. And when lean becomes embedded as a mindset, it is developed as a capability, as a skill set, then the tools become relevant. Otherwise, they're just a waste of money, a waste of time and a waste of money. The same as most training is a waste of time and a waste of money. If all you want is information, there's this wonderful thing called Google. All education should be transformational. If it's not transforming somebody's ability, somebody's beliefs, somebody's mindset, it's not education. It's just knowledge. And knowledge by itself is that all ed education should really be aiming for what I would call level six education. So the first thing is that most people think of it as chuck information at people so they know it. That's not education. That's just knowing stuff. Then there's an understanding. So, yeah, I can relate it to something and explain it in such and such a way. Then there becomes an application. So I can apply it and I can make it do something useful. Then I can analyze it and understand why it's doing something useful. Then I can evaluate, do I use this or do I use that in this exercise or that exercise? Then I can actually bring all these things together and create something new that's even more powerful, and that's synthesis. When we get to education that looks at synthesis, we truly create value. And that's the level of education we need to do. And that comes with experience. And that's what I'm talking about. It is learned, it's not taught. And end of the sermon. <laughs> and if I can just draw another example on that, is again, it happens a lot in healthcare, but it's also applicable to most other industries. People talk about um, having data as an end in itself. We've got lots and lots of data, therefore we can be more efficient, we can do better things and so on and so forth. It's complete nonsense. If you don't have the ability to analyze and interpret and convert the data into uh, value-based knowledge, then the data is simply a cost. And I'm already seeing situations where companies 10 years ago invested massive amounts of money acquiring data, failed to invest anything appropriate in the analysis and interpretation of the data and are now getting rid of their data assets because they've decided that those data assets aren't actually valuable. And of course, to those companies, those data assets aren't valuable, but it's not because the data is not valuable. It's because they didn't put in the two extra steps necessary to turn the data into value. And I think the same is true with training. Exactly as you say, Bob. If you, you you can spend an enormous amount of money, I mean, I wouldn't employ a graduate MBA in anything other than a starting position. I would not assume that because they've got an MBA, they've actually got any knowledge at all about how to do any job, just because they've got an MBA. If I find someone who's got 10 years experience and during that 10 years, they went from high school to getting a degree to then 
doing a master's and then then you know gradually acquiring the formal training whilst at the same time acquiring real life experience in real jobs doing a real thing that created value for their employees now i'm interested uh, the uh, uh, well, just one other small thing. Uh, I'm in the process of, of starting a new company, and all of the people I'm talking to uh, as potential employees are over 45 years of age, with in excess of 15 years' experience in our industry, and every single one of them has been laid off by an employer who decided to get rid of them. I'm, yeah, from that from that perspective. I'm extremely happy that this is what companies do. Uh, but at the same time, it's just so frustrating because, of course, the, the companies that they came from are the companies that we're now trying to market our products to. And the people that we're trying to market the products to, I'm going to clue what they're talking about because they've only been there for three minutes. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I completely agree that that, that, that process of uh, perceiving, generating, uh, and understanding value is a much more complex thing than uh, a, 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 a simple structured training approach, for example. Robin. Thanks. I don't have the put your hand up icon. Um, it's been really interesting listening to all of you speaking on um these topics. Um, as Nick said, I'm an employment lawyer, so I'm the person who ends up picking up the pieces when stuff goes wrong at you guys' end. Um, and I have to say that you know I've been nodding my head furiously throughout lots of what you've been saying uh, because so many things have rung true, and especially this the the dismissing of senior talent. Um, my gosh, it, I have dealt with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of senior employees who have basically been you know, shown the door. Um, maybe th- three, four, five years from retirement. And that is probably the worst thing that could ever happen to somebody because they are then perceived as too old to then get to to get um, an equivalent position um, in the same industry. Um, I have uh, lots of experience in in these people and listening to them uh, down the phone. I feel like I do pastoral care as well as just... (laughs) legal legal advice um but it just seems to be part of the job um and uh it and it goes hand in hand with the the callow youths who are then brought in to replace the more expensive um older employees um who then go in and are so keen to impress the boss that they rub everybody up the wrong way and you then get a spate of bullying and harassment um, grievances or heaven forbid tribunal claims um, if, if it can't be sorted out via HR's intervention 
Um, it's just, I, I, I just find it really interesting to see it from your perspective. Obviously, there's lots and lots of great ideas, and uh, you all seem to know what you're doing or what should be done. Um, I just wish... <laughs> I just wish more people, um, and I act for both employers and employees, so I, I do both sides of the coin. Um, but I wish more employers um, were as switched on as to the need for proper training for their line managers, um, and uh, the fact that you know, you know, old Carruthers may be the most expensive one on the payroll, but my God, you know, he's really got things ticking over. Um, it's usually as a result of shareholder pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we want a bigger dividend. So you guys need to cut costs and it's usually the employees and it's usually the older employees. When the age discrimination regulations came into effect in 2006, uh, it was like there was a revolving door on my office of um, older workers clutching settlement agreements uh, saying, don't understand it, don't understand it. And I said, well, unfortunately, it's because there's new regulations coming in, which would make it much, much harder for them to get rid of you uh, because of your age. And it was it was actually quite, dare I say, it was a bit nauseating to, to see um, good people through no fault of their own um, expendable. So that's my toppings. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, that if you work in the corporate world for any time at any senior position, you know that that's life. You know that the axe can fall anywhere. I mean, it's happened to me in the sense that um, working for one business that wanted to, so it, so it was then went into private equity hands and they wanted to sell early. So the cost of me, my staff, my travel by taking that out, put £40 million on the sale value. Now, I understood that. I wasn't happy that I had to go, but I understood that's a business decision. It's not poisonal, it's business. And so that's that's life. That's, that comes with the territory of being an executive. Unfortunately, there are bastards in the world and they, they play by bastards' rules. Say, say la vie. As long as you don't be a bastard, then you can live with yourself. Yeah, I, I have to say that um, obviously people who do get uh, uh, shown the door at an elder age can go and work for Simon. That's number one. So we'll all start sending them towards Simon. So. <laughs> email account <laughs> but the um uh the, the the cynicism of it all and the and and the the, the short-termism of it i i'm i'm always struck by companies that encourage intergenerational mentoring um i i think that the 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 the, the um the collective memory um in, in institutional memory held by elder workers uh, can be um, transferred through mentoring to younger workers and of course 
the the modern way of doing things and some of the mindsets that are necessary nowadays can be mentored upwards as well. And I think in great companies, I think you probably do see that kind of uh, uh, that kind of mentoring. I think the slash and burn thing that that is repellent um, and as you say Bob is a fact of life I mean you know shouting about it ain't going to change a thing um, but it, it, it is good whenever we do see good practice going on to shout about it and I think uh, it's important to do so and uh, I very much hope that um, as we develop uh, the Unite community, which we're doing over the next eight weeks or so, uh, that is very much one of the things we'll be we'll be seeking to achieve is uh, is, is is seeking out best practice and disseminating it um, among the community and just hold it holding up what's good. And and I know Bob, you do the TMMX awards judging. Uh, I, I've done some of that in the past, as you know, um, and it is inspiring to see great companies and. Uh, and and it's a great program for holding up the uh, examples of excellence and excellence there's a lot of it i don't know who said it um, earlier but there's a lot of really good companies in this country uh, but there's also a long tail of uh, of not so good ones um so there we go this is a couple of minutes to, to seven o'clock and um yeah, I, th I think we've had a fantastic discussion. Thank you very much indeed for coming along, even though I wasn't able to lay on a guest speaker for you today. But I thought there was uh, it was great of you to show up. And um, Nigel and Liam, wonderful to see you. Um, we are often bigger than this. We have had up to 30 people, and I think we've got a lot of people on holiday still at the moment. Uh, Robin was saying earlier that uh, she thinks it's not, you know, people are on holiday now because kids have gone back to school, and so uh, people who don't have kids have gone off on holidays, and that's uh, probably what's happening as we speak. So I'm going to wrap it up for now, and thank you all very much indeed for being with us um I, it's it's always it's a source of inspiration for me to uh, uh to, to get the hive mind ticking over and i really appreciate some of the insights so uh, <laughs> i will bob he's just said enjoy malbec time it's uh, it's one of those things that downstairs there resides a bottle of malbec that will be forever mine um so i shall love you all take care thank you for being with us and uh see you Thanks next very much indeed. cheers to all